Hey, one of the things uh, in our family that I always appreciated growing up is that my dad, from time to time, would tell about how God called him to be a pastor. And uh, I, there was just so many different details about it, and there was uh, just, uh, and then to see him live that out in our family, and then to see my mom live that out with him, that is always something really special to us. And I bring that up because today we're going to study 13 verses in Ephesians chapter 3 that are about Paul kind of pausing and talking about the call that God gave him to be a pastor, to be an apostle. And so we're going to look at that in just a minute. Um, but if, you're, if you haven't been with us, you can see up here on the banners, we've been spending a number of weeks now. Next week we'll finish this, this three chapters in Ephesians, this letter to the Ephesians in a series that we've called In Christ. And that comes from the fact that throughout these three chapters, you'll find this phrase repeating itself again and again. In Christ, in Him, in Christ, and in the Lord. And so this whole idea of in. And uh, we've talked about the fact that these first three chapters are all about understanding that when God did something in Christ, He did it to change our identities. You see, you've probably noticed this, that if your identity, you live out of your identity. And so uh, the sentence we've used in this series is, be convinced of who you are in Christ if you've put your trust in him. And if you are not yet a Christian, we're glad you're here, but we hope that you'll become convinced of who you can be in Christ if you will humbly receive the amazing gift that he offers to you in Christ. So we've been spending time on that, and so now um, we're going to keep moving ahead. And like I said, next week we'll do that. Last week we talked about how God's amazing building plan, of how he is building us into a holy temple, not of physical bricks and mortar, but of people. That God is now building something. His, his newest and most important temple is not in Israel somewhere. It is right where the body of Christ is. That's what he's doing of both Jew and Gentile believers. So if you're following along, what I want you to see uh, is that the mark of maturity, we talked about this last week, is embracing our shared identity. It's embracing our shared identity and learning how to move from me to we. Learning how to move from me to we. Now, I want to make sure I walk this tightrope carefully. Everything we're talking about, you can know individually. And I hope you will. I hope you do. But if we stay there and all we think about is me and Jesus, then we are not maturing. When we talk about fighting shallow Christianity, beginning with ourselves, he wants us to understand that while we have an individual identity that can be very meaningful, it becomes the most mature when we understand it as a shared identity. When we understand that we are his workmanship. And so, again, talking about that, this is where we're going to keep moving today. And last week we talked about the fact that what God is doing in Christ is more than just individual disconnected Christians. So if you're following along, we've been saying every week that one of the things that sabotages us living or becoming convinced of who we're meant to be is that lies seep in, or we still hold on to certain lies or myths. This week, I think this passage speaks to this lie. If you're following along, I can live connected to Christ, but not his church. 
I can live connected to Christ, but not as church. Last week, we talked about the fact that we often buy into this lie, it's easy to do so, of I can live the Christian life all by myself. I can just worship God out in nature. I don't need to be involved in a church. I don't need to be connected to the church. And this is a lie. This is, as we already said, this is an immature understanding or an undeveloped understanding of what God's about in the world. When God saved you and me, if he has, then he always meant for you to be part of something bigger than yourself instead of just you being disconnected from others and just be with him. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I hope that as we talk about this, that you'll see that God wants to change our minds. And as he changes our minds, it can be totally life-changing. I need to just tell you, this message applies to me in this way. For many years, even though my dad had a calling, and even though he had a sense of how to do that, even though my parents, I watched the way they lived, both at home and with others, I, I, just, I still leaned back towards the, I, I like Jesus, but I don't know if I like his church. I love, I love Christ, but I don't know if I love his church. And so God has had to change my mind and help me see what I wasn't seeing. And it's really revolutionized my life. And also, he actually changed an opponent of the church and won his heart over. And that's the one writing this letter from prison, the Apostle Paul, once known as Saul. So we're going to talk about that today. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We say this all the time. We'd love it if you'd be a first-hander with the Bible. That, that's one of the ways we grow is by being in his word. So Ephesians chapter 3, it's in the last 50 pages of your Bible if you're trying to find it, getting used to your Bible. And if you want to use a black one in the seat racks nearby, we'd love for you to take one out. If you don't have a Bible, take it home as a gift from us. And uh, we want people to, to use these Bibles. Page 815 is where you can find it if you're using a black Bible. Now, again, we're going to walk through these 13 verses together, and as you can see on the message notes, we're going to talk about understanding the mystery of Christ. When I read this passage in just a few moments, what I want you to notice is that four times the word mystery comes up. Basically, Paul says, I want to share with you the mystery that God called me to share. So let's pray, and then let's ask God to help us walk with him. Now, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that I get to learn with these people. What a privilege. And I pray that as a result of us gathering together today and looking to you, that you would change our minds and help us become more mature in our relationship with you and with each other. And I pray that on this Memorial Day weekend, uh, many people would be able to look back and say, God kept helping me understand more of what I didn't understand. Me too. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to start in verse 1. When I get to verse 6, that first gray box has verse 6, and uh, the second gray box has verse 12, so we can all read off the same translation. You ready? Let's go. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Do some of your translations have uh, a hyphen right after that or a dash? Okay. What I want you to notice is that he takes a detour. What Paul's going to do here is a digression. He started to do something, and he stops. And we might say, well, what was he starting to say? What was he going to say next? Well, we don't have to worry about that, because verse 14, he starts all over again. So if you drop down to verse 14, uh, I'll just read this uh, sentence here. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And he goes on, and he prays 
that they will understand in greater measure the love of Christ and the purpose of Christ. Steve's going to help unpack that prayer next week, and I can't wait till we learn more about that. But right now, he says, for this reason, and then he stops. He says, you know, I'm a prisoner, not of Nero, the emperor, not of Rome, but of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And now he, he feels like he needs to stop and explain why. So let me keep going. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. He's talking about his calling, how God gave me a responsibility uh, to share his grace with others. That is the mystery, there's the word, made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. So he's already written a couple chapters. In reading this letter, then, you will be able to understand my insight into, there's the word again, mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, and as has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Now let's read verse 6 together. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Before we go any further, what's a Gentile? Anyone who's not Jewish. Right, okay. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel, this good news, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power in my life. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you read verse 12 with me? In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, this last verse gives a hint of why he makes this detour. When he says that he's a prisoner, I think some of the Christians were going, oh, no. What if something happens to Paul? How are we going to be able to live the Christian life? I don't know if I can do it without Paul. And why is he in prison in the first place? Isn't Jesus supposed to win? What's going on? So he stops and says, okay, let me just stop. I, I've got a pastor's heart here. Let me just stop and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, remind you of the calling God gave me to share this mystery with you. And I want to make sure that if you don't already understand it, you can know it. So here we go. Here's what, if you're following along, here's the detour he takes. He shares the revelation and responsibility that God gave Paul. He shares the revelation and responsibility that God gave Paul. Do you notice verse 2? He says, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now, the people he's writing to in the Ephesian letter are Gentiles. That means that they had no Jewish background and they've come to believe in Jesus. And that in itself is a controversial thing because the very first Christians, friends, were not Gentiles, they were Jewish people. That's why Jesus went first to Israel. First to the Jewish people, because the Messiah promised through Abraham would come through Israel. But now God reveals that his plan was always to include people beyond Israel. That it wasn't just about Jewish people, that it was about even people in Rochester, Chatham, Springfield, Illinois that are Gentiles. It's an amazing thing. 
but it created controversy, and there were Jewish people that felt that was a misinterpretation of Scripture, and it made them angry. Steve showed us a few weeks ago that Jewish people and Gentile people in that ancient world time, they hated each other. They referred to each other as dogs, as no accounts, worthless. And so Paul says, I just need to remind you of the calling God gave me, which was primarily for you Gentiles. And actually, that's why I'm in prison. That's why I got arrested. Is because the people that hate you Gentiles hate me because I'm telling you that. So he says, God showed me something. He gave me a revelation. And then whenever he gives a revelation, he gives a responsibility. And Paul talks about that you know, revelation and responsibility throughout the rest of these verses. Have you ever noticed that once God shows you something, he asks you to do something about it? He asks you to at least receive it or at least be responsive with it. And Paul understood that. And so some people, as soon as we hear the word responsibility, we think of those chores we used to hate to do. We think of it as a really bad word. But Paul, when he uses the idea of responsibility, he saw it as a response to God's ability. He saw it as an opportunity. He saw it as a privilege. And he's going to use the word grace at least three or four times in these verses as well. He just says, I can't get over the revelation and responsibility God would offer to me that he'd entrust me with. This is amazing. So again, uh, let me just tell you, he says in verse 2, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace. Well, not everybody in this room, I'm sure, has, but they had. And so let me just take you to Acts 26. And what I want to tell you, if you want to read about this in more detail, you can read Paul's story, his calling in Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. Let's look at Acts 26 as he stands before a king to tell him his testimony. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. What is he saying? My background was enemy number one of Jesus of Nazareth and his people. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. What is he saying? I was like ISIS. I hated Christians. I hated Christ. One of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of their chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, which was Paul's name before he eventually became Paul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and all in Judea, and to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent 
and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the, who, friends? Gentiles, okay? Now, in Acts 22, we go back to when he said he was arrested in the temple courts. Let's go back to that. He gets arrested, but as he gets arrested, they, they practically beat him within an eyelash of his, of his life. But he says, hey, I got, I got to talk to this crowd. Even though they're ticked at me, would you give me a chance to speak? And he speaks to them, and they listen carefully until he gets near the end. And we pick it up. It says this. Here's what he said. Then the Lord said to me, he's retelling his calling and testimony, go, I will send you far away to the what? Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. They were sick, sickened by that idea. So Paul realizes, says, hey, you just need to know, Jesus' calling is going to get me in lots of trouble. Don't be discouraged by that. I knew that's what I was signing up for. Acts 9, God actually said to him, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I'm calling him, but there's a responsibility, and it is going to be costly. But Paul had gotten to the place where he said, this is such a privilege. This is such an opportunity. I'll give my life. I'll pay any price to see this revelation, this mystery shared with other people. It's an amazing thing. And he's writing this letter, and here we are now, today, being blessed by what he writes. Incredible. So notice, in this passage, what he says. He says, Paul, if you're following along, Paul says, this grace was given to me, and I use numbers now instead of words, was given to me for you, not just to me, for me. Did you see that there in, uh, in verse um, verse 3, it says, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation. And uh, in verse 2, he had actually said that was given to me for you. So it was given to me. Yes, it was. And I'm going to tell you over and over again, it's not because I'm more special than you, but it was given to me for you. That's why I'm writing this letter. That's why I've carried the message. That's why I got arrested. God showed me that the Christian life isn't just to me, for me. And when you and I begin to understand this, it'll change your life. When you begin to understand your shared identity, that God cares about you, yes, he does, but he cares about more than just you. That he cares about Jewish people, yes, he does, but he cares about more than Jewish people. And this is an amazing thing. And he began to see that his whole life existed not just for himself, but for others. And when you and I get turned outward like that, it sets us on a different course. It's no longer just about acquiring all we can acquire for ourselves. It's no longer about attaining all the honors we can get for ourselves. Now it's about him to me for you. Now notice what else he says here. He says he keeps using this word mystery, so let me just make sure you have a definition of it. Because, you know, in our language, the English language, the word mystery means something different than it meant in, in the Greek language. In the English language, we often use mystery as something dark, secret, hidden, only to be shared with special people. 
But that's not what the Bible means. If you're following along, a mystery is a secret once hidden, now revealed by God. It's a secret once hidden, now revealed by God. And so if you look up here at Colossians 1, 24 through 26, I've shared before that Colossians is kind of like a sister or parallel letter that he wrote in prison about the same time. Here's what he wrote to the Colossians. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. I actually can rejoice in this because I know this is a sign that things are happening, actions happening. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. In other words, Christ is still going to be persecuted, friends. And for the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant. In other words, the church, the body of Christ, have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the Lord's people. Can I just tell you? You live at a really good time. You and I live at a really good time. We live on the right side of the cross. We have the privilege now to know a mystery that people in the Old Testament could only try and figure out from a distance. And God has let us know. He's let us in on this mystery. So the word mystery really means an open secret. It's no longer just for special people. This is for even a child. If a person is humble enough to know and want to know God, they can. The only people God sends away empty-handed are those that stay full of themselves or are proud. But any person... No matter what your background, no matter what your spiritual knowledge has been, you can know this mystery personally. You can know the revelation that God showed Paul because it wasn't just for Paul. It was for you. And this is an amazing thing. And Paul could not get over it. And that's another reason why he doesn't want them to be discouraged because he goes, no, 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 no. I'm not the only recipient and carrier of this revelation. No, 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 no. What I learned is it's for people like you and me that didn't deserve to have this revelation, but he gave it to us because that's how generous he is. Oh, the riches of Christ, he says again and again. Now, here's the mystery. You may ask what the mystery is. Would you read verse 6 with me in that first gray box again? This mystery is that through the gospel... The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Will you do me a favor? In that gray box there, you'll see the word together three times. Would you underline it, please? Heirs together, members together, sharers together. And I've named this message sharers together because I want to really focus in on that. What Paul does right here is he goes, look, I'm trying to figure out how to explain this mystery to you in the simplest way. And so in the Greek language, he uses a prefix, S-Y-N, that we have used in the English language. Like, so when you say synonym instead of antonym, an antonym is a word that means the opposite of, but a synonym is a word that's similar to or the same. And so what he's saying is, is look, in Christ... Whether you're Jewish background, Gentile background, it no longer matters. Whether you are a former atheist, whether you're an agnostic, or whether you have church background or not, it no longer matters. If you come to trust in Christ, then you have become an heir together with Israel. Everything God promised to Abraham through his Messiah, through his seed, Jesus, is now yours. You have an inheritance, and you will not miss it you will experience it. Second, you are members, not just of yourself, but together with his body. 
Friends, I just need to say this to some of you right now. If you've trusted in Christ, you belong as much as I do. You belong as much as Paul did. Same membership opportunity. And the last one is sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. What was the promise? That through Jesus, his Holy Spirit would come and be given to every person to now live inside you so you have the power to live the Christian life. Unbelievable. This is unbelievable. So if you're following along, the mystery is that God connects us together with Christ and each other. That's what S-Y-N means. It means together or together with. And I've often called this the wonder of with. Oh, man, because it's a double union. So what that means is when you trust in Christ, even though you and I were wrong with God and on the outs with God, by the blood shed on the cross as the payment for the penalty of your rebellion and sin and mine, he made us right with God. He makes this forgiveness possible. We can draw near to God now. And when that happens, that means that then he didn't just then reconnect us to God. He reconnected us to each other who trust in his son, Jesus. And this is an amazing thing. And that means, again, we cannot live in the immaturity of thinking just from ourselves. If you look over in chapter 4, which we'll get to next fall, you'll see that he talks about this in several places. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Verse 16, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. He's saying, I connected you not just to God, Christ said, I also connected you to each other. And in years past, I've tried to understand what this means. And so I drew a kind of imperfect thing. For those of you listening online, I just tried to draw a bicycle tire wheel. And uh, again, I know they've gotten a little more sophisticated in the last few years as far as how this works, but basically I just want you to know this simple idea. In the center, you have the hub of a bicycle wheel, and then you have these spokes. And these spokes, if you notice, they all start out here far apart from each other. But when do they get closer? The closer they get to the hub. And when you and I begin to walk towards Christ in this freedom that he's now given us, by his amazing grace, we start noticing that some other people are next to us. And they're connected to Christ too. And yet in a way, we're also connected to them. And we learn how to move closer to each other rather than avoiding intimacy, rather than saying, I'll cocoon my way through life. We begin to understand he's calling us into something bigger. And it's a revelation. And when that light bulb goes on in your head and your heart, like it has other people and like it did Paul, and you begin to give yourself to that and you see it as a responsibility and opportunity and privilege, oh my goodness, will it change your life will it change our church this is what's always god's dream so notice a couple more things through trusting christ anyone can now freely approach god through trusting christ anyone can now freely approach god from time to time people will say will you pray for me and i can tell i don't i love praying with people i'm more than glad to pray with people now if they're asking me to pray with them because i'm a fellow citizen a fellow member I belong to Jesus like they do. I don't have any problem. But if they're asking me to pray because they think I have a special connection with God, they're going to be bitterly disappointed. 
The only connection I have with God is because of Jesus Christ. And I am no more able to come into the presence of God than you are if you have trusted in Christ. Do you know a little child can get as quick of access, an elderly person get as quick of access as any We can get access because of what Jesus has done. This is the revelation, friends. Now, do we always take advantage of it? No. But so I'm always more than glad to pray with people, but don't think that I or Paul or anybody that's ever had a responsibility in the church that was more visible, more prominent, had more ends with God than you can have. This is amazing. Friends, this is a mystery. This is awesome. See, a mystery is something that on one hand, even though you begin to understand it, it is so profound. It is so incredible. It brings such reverence. It brings such joy and astounding that you find yourself saying, I'm going to think about that for a long time. And I think I'm going to have to learn that more and more in its dimensions, like a diamond. Oh my goodness, how many facets there are to this mystery that's been revealed to me. And so, again, if you're following along, through the church... Notice verse 10. He says, this was his intent, that now through the church. And now what does he say? God shows his manifold wisdom, if you're following along. Through the church, God now shows his manifold wisdom. I love the word manifold. Some of you used to work on cars, so you think of a car manifold. And it certainly has that idea of things that are all springing out from one center. But the word here actually means many colored. And the idea of many colored is just like a kaleidoscope. When you begin to put all those different colors together, all the different varieties, all the things God can do is astounding. You know, I've thought many times about just our church family, which was just a small representative of the larger church family in the world that God's been putting together. And I sometimes turn to Trish and say, you know, I think our church is held together by chicken wire and the Holy Spirit. And what do I mean by that? Friends, if you didn't already know this, we have people from fundamentalist backgrounds and from charismatic backgrounds. We have people that are very reserved, and we have people that are very boisterous. We have people that are young and old. We have people with all different kinds of stories. And God is doing something. And we're not even able to fully explain it. But we know it's God. Because we know what we're like without God doing that. And so in verse 8, he says, look, here's how this revelation is going to play out. Here's how this mystery is going to be made known. First, I, I went to the Gentiles like I was supposed to, but in a way, I also went to all men, both, you know, Judea, Jewish people. He'd go into the synagogues first and also share the Gentiles, but it's not only going to go Gentiles, all people. It's then going to go even to the heavenly realms and the angels God is actually, this is so cool, God actually decided to not let the angels in on this until he did something called the church. Um, I love what John Stott writes. He says, a great drama is being enacted. History is the theater, the world is the stage, and the church members in every land are the actors. God himself has written the play, and he directs and produces it, act by act, Scene by scene, the story continues to unfold. But who are the audience? They are the cosmic intelligences, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We are to think of them as spectators of the drama of salvation. Thus, the history of the Christian church becomes a graduate school for angels. What in the world is he talking about? 
Well, Peter understood this too. Look at 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. He said, this salvation was something even the prophets in the Old Testament wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Some of your translations say the angels long to look into these things. The, literally, it means they stoop to look. They're, 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 they're almost on there. They're stooping, but they're also bent over, looking over the rafters of heaven, watching this. We can't see them, but they can see us. And what's interesting is they're going, oh, my goodness, you are so smart, God. How did you do that? A missionary to Belgium found that not many people were believing in Christ. So what he decided to do was get people from different nations that lived there in Belgium all together that believed in Christ. And he rented a house for seven months and he had them live together. At first it was messy. They irritated each other. But then they began to learn that the New Testament teaches how we can learn how to live with each other humbly and love each other with the supernatural love of Christ. And the city began to see those are the people that love each other. And they began to fulfill what God always intended, that by this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another with a shared identity. This is cool, friends. Let me just stop. Years ago, God began to give me a heart for his church. And I had some baggage, friends. I mean, I, I told you before, I had a... I used to wear my hair long in the 70s. Remember the 70s? Some of you don't. You weren't here. <laughs> and I, a man in our church uh, who prayed the loudest and said amen the loudest used to come up in front of a bunch of people and just grab my cheeks and say, what a pretty little girl we have here. <laughs> I didn't like that. <laughs> but what happened is, is that I began to see that that man belonged to Christ as much as I did. And even with his imperfections, God was doing stuff in his life too. And I began to see I needed the church, but also that God wanted me to love the church as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5 is going to say, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. But then he began to show me, what was Jesus thinking about on the cross? What was he thinking about on the cross? Some of us go, well, he's thinking about how much it hurt. Well, we know he's thinking about his mom. We know he's thinking about the prisoners next to him, the criminals. Here's what I honestly believe he was thinking about on the cross, and I say this carefully. I think he was dreaming of a church. The Bible says is that with his blood, he purchased men and women for God. And his picture always would be is that now through the church, the world, the watching world would see what God always had in mind. And this is what you and I can give ourselves to. So if, as far as your identity, if you're following along, let me just ask you a question. Does God's including me fill me with a sense of privilege? Does God's including you and me fill you with a sense of privilege? And I told you earlier that Paul said grace several times. He goes, you just need to know, I am the last person 
that should ever be allowed to share this revelation with anybody. I am not worthy in myself. But God, because of the riches of his generous grace, you know, even though I was the less than the least of all, and that he actually creates a word that had never existed before. You know, it could be translated, even though I was the leaster. God included me. There are times that I stand in this room and as I'm singing, I just can't get over that he would include someone like me. I can't believe it. But that's who he is. That's what he wants to do. And does that give you with a sense of privilege or does it fill you with pride? Do you find yourself looking down on other people that don't yet know Christ or does it fill you with a sense of, oh my goodness, this isn't just for me, it's for you. Oh man, powerful. Second, we live this out by sharing and doing life together. We live this out by sharing and doing life together. I've often gone back to this passage in Acts 2, verse 47, 41 through 47. Let me just walk through it quickly. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 all. This was just like six or seven weeks after Jesus rose again and ascended into heaven. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I could spend the next hour talking about the word devoted, friends. The word devoted means with your whole heart, with all your energy, you give yourself to something. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. We talked about this last week. To the fellowship. In other words, the shared community. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They prayed together. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in homes together for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And NIV says, glad and sincere hearts, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You know, the question becomes, if I'm a sharer together in Christ, if I'm living this new identity, how will I know? Let me just ask you, are you sharing anything with anybody? It might be a possession. It might be money. It might be time. It might be a talent that you have. Are you sharing it with any other people in Jesus' name? And the second thing is, what are you doing in your Christian life together with other Christians? That can be scary. It has risk, I know. But what are you doing? Are you learning how to do that? We're learning how to do stuff together, friends. Now, this morning, I, before the 8 o'clock service, I went out to the lobby, and I just shook hands with some of the different people and hugged some. And I remember each time I did that, I thought, God's showing me how to look at this person. And when we shake hands, it's a way of saying, we're together. When we hug each other, it's a way of saying, we're together in Christ. And so it's just changed my whole life. So if you're following along, this prayer can be yours if you want it to be. Lord, I gladly give myself to you and your church. I gladly give myself to you and your church. We've been learning, like 2 Corinthians 8, 5 says, that the early Christians, and I'll just tell you this quick story before we wrap. <clears throat> Did you know that Paul was so captivated by this revelation that when he heard that Jewish Christians in another part of the world we're going to go through a famine, or we're going through a famine. 
he appealed to the Gentile Christians in Corinth and even places like here in Ephesians. And he says, look, what if we were to gather an offering and I and some of the other Christian leaders will carry that offering to those Jewish believers, your brothers and sisters in Christ from a Jewish background, and so they can make it through this famine without being destroyed. And that will be such a testimony to the world that doesn't know that Jewish people and Gentile people can actually love each other. They're going to see that Christ did it. Christ did it. So Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he says, I just need to let you know that the Macedonian Christians, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. They saw that connection, and they began to do it, and he was able to take that offering. What a testimony. It both blessed those Christians and also let the world know that Jesus, his revelation and plan has unfolded, friends. It still is. It still is. So in our church family, there's a lady in our church that I met about 18 or 19 years ago. I told you last week I volunteered for a number of years at the Dana Thomas House once a month, and I got to know someone on staff there. Her name was Kathy. As we began to share our stories with each other, I realized that although she had started out with Christ, she was still not really able to approach God with the freedom and confidence that God wanted her to because of all the painful stuff that had happened in her past. So we began to talk and share, and she started coming to Cherry Hills, and she eventually got into a Bible study with a lady named Mamie Jackson and some other things. But I watched God change her life. And as he changed her life, the connection between us became even more real than God always intended. And so I want you to watch her story and just see, and I hope you'll notice that when God began to change her life, it affected her family and not just her. I grew up in a dysfunctional family and um, very verbally and physically abusive. And um, because that's the only life I knew, I thought that was normal. My father was an alcoholic and actually he abused my mother and um, then marrying three alcoholics. It was just a cycle in my life that I couldn't uh, seem to break. My family life was not right, and I longed for uh, to be free of it, but I didn't uh, know what to do. After the uh, childhood abuse and then my abusive husbands, um, I felt totally worthless, uh, unwanted, unloved, and felt that I really did not deserve love. I felt God was right here in my face <laughs> saying, you're coming to a fork in the road. Do you want out of this bondage or are you going to go the other way and stay in it and, and get deeper in it? pulled up, I looked around and I thought, 
I don't know if I can do this now because I love this person and it's going to break my heart. I just couldn't make myself go out that door. And uh, I just, finally a peace came over me. <laughs> I don't understand it, but I got up and I knew I just felt God's arms around me, and I knew that he was going to move me forward and that he would pick up my broken pieces. He brought me out of that darkness, and he showed me light, his light, and his mercy, and his... I've never seen such mercy and such compassion and such love for someone as I saw on the day when he changed me. I know that I am loved and I know that I'm a child of God and I know that I'm saved and that I am valuable to him. It's still so amazing to me that he broke that cycle in our family. Um, my four children are all uh, saved, so that cycle has now been broken, and I have two grandchildren who are now growing up in a Christian home, and that is just so mind-blowing to me that God has worked that way in our lives. Kathy's story during that time, I've been amazed to see how God has brought her through such a difficult past and into the life and joy and freedom that she has now in Christ. And a few weeks ago when we were in our life group and we were discussing the message from that week and talking about our identity in Christ, Kathy pulled out this paper and read to us scriptures that she had written out and read over and over again through the years as she learned to fully embrace and walk in her new identity in Christ. And that night, I was overcome hearing the truth from the scripture and just overcome with gratitude of the riches that we have in Christ and what a difference it makes in us when we know the truth of what God says about us. Hearing those words, those verses reminded me of my own identity in Christ, but also of what a powerful work God can do in us individually and as a church when we know who we are in him and we do life together. And I'd like to share some of those scriptures that Kathy read to us this that night. And here's what God says to us from his word. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. I died for you, and I rose again that you might have life in me and have life everlasting. I have called you, and I have chosen you. I will provide for you, and I will protect you. You know, we don't, we don't share testimonies like that to make you feel less connected. We, we share that video so that you might see yourself in Kathy's story, maybe somehow the evidence of the same grace that God's extended to you, it's extended to Kathy. So I just want, if you would, 
before we close, I want to do two things. One, there's people sitting on both sides of you probably, maybe just at least one side, or you can look down the road a little bit. Would you mind just, just take a moment, and I know this is always a little nervous, but if you just mind taking a moment and looking at the person to your left and to your right, okay? Just do that right now. If you need to laugh, go ahead. That's fine. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. And wherever you are spiritually, you may not yet be a person that believes. You may say, I'm not religious at all. But if you're open to it and you're willing, I want to ask you to just pray for the people sitting next to you. That they'll be convinced of who they are in Christ or who they can be in Christ. Let's just take a moment. Let's just pray. Let's do that together. So once we've done that together, I want to invite you to sing with me just one time through a song that I think expresses the glory of this incredible mystery, the wonder, the awe that God's making us his temple. And we want to sing this together, but know that after this service is over, after I've prayed at the end, there's always people down front that can pray with you on any given Sunday if you want to do something together with other people that can also approach God freely because of what Christ has done. So let's, let's, let's sing this song just real briefly together. Oh, the glory. You can stand up if you want. Of your presence we your pray for you. Oh God, I thank you that we can be together in Christ, even though it's messy. Thank you that Ephesians 4 through 6 is going to show us how to do that humbly. Help us to keep learning. But in the meantime, help us share and share together all that you've done for us in Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you.